Okay, so as Rabbi Avram just mentioned, today um, was Asar Batevis, the 10th of Tevis, which is a fast day. And it's an interesting fast day, and it has a, a distinction, as far as right, that if Asar Batevis were to file, fall out on the Shabbos, which can't happen on the calendar, oh, you saved yourself, which, which can't happen on the calendar as we have it, nevertheless it's written in Rishonim that one would have to fast on Asar Batevis. What's the reason for that? And this, uh, even if it would be on Shabbos. And the reason is, it's given in the Rishonim, say, because when it talks about the fast of Asar Batevis in Tanakh, it says, Be'etzem hayoyim hazeh. Whenever it says, Be'etzem hayoyim hazeh, it's like Yom Kippur, that it has to be on that day. So that's the halachic um, angle of it, which tells us that there's a certain um, severity or stringency to Asar Batevis, the tenth of Tevis, um, even beyond all the other fast days, and which which raises the obvious question: nothing really even happened. I mean, Asar Batevis is only the beginning because that's when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel, surrounded. Right, he started the siege, right? But then later you have Shiva Sabatamas when the walls are broken, and Tishabav, of course, the way some Mikdash is destroyed. How could it be? that Asar Batevis should be more severe than the actual destruction. And one of the explanations given is the contrary, because that was the Hascholas HaPuronus. The beginning of the downfall was then. There's a concept of, you know, from then it's been, it was spiraling downward. So Tishabov or Shiva Subhatamos, all are merely finishing up, so to speak, what really began on this day of Asar Batevis. Asar Batevis, um, has that very p- uh, powerful uh, stringency or, or, uh, or negative connotation that it is the beginning of Golos, the beginning of destruction, the beginning of, of, um, of destruction and exile all began in this day. And therefore, we have a concept that the, the haschala of something carries a certain strength. You know, that begins, that began the, the traje- tra- trajectory, if you will, of uh, the, do- the downward fall. So that's on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, we know, Rambam tells us that when Mashiach will come, the curve, so then all the Yom Tovim, not all the fast days, not only will we not fast, but there'll be big Yom Tovim. And the Shiloh is why. I mean, okay, so Mashiach is here, we don't have to fast anymore. What, what's so happy about it? What's so happy about a sort of a Tevis or about Tishibu? And the Rambam says, it's going to be Yom Tovim, they're going to be great festivals. You know, people will say, Afrei Lechatishibu, right? Because it's going to be a great Yom Tov. You know, that's the Rambam Panskins. The Shiloh is why. And the answer is because ultimately we have this concept in Torah called Yerida Tzairech Aliyah, which is that every descent is ultimately there only to bring us to a greater place, to a greater ascent. And when Mashiach will come, we'll be able to see how each one of these steps and the descent was there really in order to bring us to the great ascent of the Gula Shlema, the Besamek Tashashlishi, which is going to be greater than the first two. Right? There's the... The, 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 the Zayar says I mean, the, the third base of Mikdash will never be destroyed so it will be a much greater revelation a much greater base of Mikdash and therefore one day we'll be able to thank Hashem thanks for Tishabov because we'll recognize that it was only the descent into exile and all the difficult things that happened that brought us to the great place that we're going to be much like in our own lifetimes many times we can look back and see something that seemed to have been a negative occurrence but we, we realize how it actually brought us to a greater place Really, it's the story of these parshiyas that we're learning in Chumash, the story of Yosef. And Yosef is sold by his brother. What could be worse than that? But then Yosef turns around to him and says, you guys didn't sell me here. Hashem brought me here to make me the viceroy of Mitzrayim, to feed all of you, to feed the entire nation. So the story of Yosef is the story of Yerida Tzairech Aliyah. That when you look just at part one, it looks terrible. When you're holding at the end of the play, you know, that, that was wonderful. 
And that's what it means when the Rambam says that these days are going to be great Yamim Tevim. We'll be able to look back when Mashiach is here and say, wow, that was wonderful. In fact, there's a Pasuk, Hashem ki nafta bi, that will thank Hashem for all of the Tzaros, all the pain of Golas. There will come a time when we'll be able to have that vision in hindsight to say, yeah, I get it. I get it, I understand it, and, and I appreciate where it brought us to as a nation. And for us today, that's impossible to understand. How's, how's it possible to understand all the devastations and all the persecutions <coughs> and the Holocaust and so on and so forth? How could that be part of a plan? Because we're limited, we're human, and we get that. But what we're told is that when Mashiach will come and we'll have the whole picture, we'll be able to look back and see that. So that this day of Asar B'tevis, which we, today we fasted, and as we said, in a sense, has a stringency over all the Tanesim because it's the Aschalas HaPuranus, the beginning of the, of the uh, devastation, the beginning of exile, will actually turn out to be the beginning of the stepping stones towards Geula. So using that, I want to discuss a very uh, interesting concept. I found it always a fascinating concept. And actually, this, the first concept I want to discuss with you is something that I, uh, I had the schus of hearing from the Rebbe himself on Asar B'tevis 31 years ago. I was a Talmud in the yeshiva. I have to admit, I don't remember it verbatim from then. I could look it up in Sfarim. But, but he said this then. Uh, sorry, the 10th of Tevis, 1992. And he talked about a very interesting nevuah. Let's read it. Uh, Yecheskel. Yecheskel peridalet pasad gimel. Hashem tells the Navi Yecheskel. He says, Take for yourself a machavas. What's a machavas? It's a, like a pan, right? Made out of barzel, which is uh, iron. Hashem tells Yechazkel, take this uh, iron or metal frying pan, put it up like a wall between you and the city of Yerushalayim. Then face it. And now you'll see that the city is in a siege because there's, a, there's an iron pan between you and the city. Right? and you should besiege the city this is a symbol this is a sign for the Jewish people what's going on here what right right what's going on here what's going on here is that we find something in the Nevi'im many times that a Navi is instructed to prophesy a certain prophecy and then is instructed to do a certain physical act that should be a symbolism of the prophecy that he's going to prophesy so Hashem is telling Yechezkel, basically, there's going to be a siege on Yerushalayim. But Hashem wanted Yechezkel to do something physical that's symbolic of that upcoming siege. So what did he do? He says, take this iron pan and just erect it between you and the city. So in a small picture, what's going on? There's Yechezkel and there's the, the iron pan, which is like an iron wall, between him and the city. This symbolically was, is representing the upcoming siege of Nebuchadnezzar Melachbov. And that's a, it's an interesting concept. The Ramban talks about that, that the um, that the Nevu, the Nevi, and many times were instructed to connect their verbal prophecy with a physical act. What's that? What's this mice with a pan got to do with the siege? <coughs> because you're erecting a wall around the city of Jerusalem. This pan becomes like a wall. Yeah. And it's around the city of Jerusalem. Is it a protector? No, it's like when you're encircling, when you make a siege, oh. you're building something oh. around a city. So he's erecting this pan between him and the city, and this is an iron pan, as if to say that the city is going to be surrounded by iron. Yeah, guys. Right. right. That was the symbolism of it. Now, so, so that's the basic idea of the meaning. The, the basic meaning. But when you zoom in, it's interesting that, that Hashem says it should be an iron pan, right? 
He says, Machavas um, barzel. It should be made out of iron, metal. Benesata osa kir barzel. There seems to be a, uh, a very specific, excuse me, um, a specific intention that just don't, don't take anything. Take, take something made out of iron. And why is that? So as the Rebbe explained it then, he said because iron is very, very, um, it's in a sense antithetical to the whole, you know, the Mishkan and Beis Hamikdash. We find that there are special mitzvahs that iron doesn't belong in the Mishkan and Beis Hamikdash. Yeah. Right? Um, so let's see some sukim. In Melachim Aleph, Perik Vav Pasik Zayin, this is when Shlomo HaMelech is building the first Beis Hamikdash. What is he trying to wake up? What? <laughs> that sounds like an alarm. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Melachim Aleph, Perik Vav Pasik Zayin, that's when Shlomo HaMelech is building the Beis Hamikdash, and it says, Vahabayis Bihiba Noisei, that this built the, the the home, the building of the Beis Hamikdash, when it was being built. Even Shlema Masa Nivne, it was built whole stones that were brought in. Umakevois Vahagarzem, but axes and other types of um, metal materials that used to cut stone or to break through stone. All there was no barzel. They did not use anything made out of. I'm sorry. Right. So saying that there wasn't those things. You know. They didn't use in the in building the Besamikdash the axes or those things made out of barzel. Um, and and we go back to the Chumash actually in Shemais Perichav. It says v'mizbeach avanim tasali. Hashem says when you'll make for me a, a mizbeach out of stone, loisivne esen gozis. It shouldn't be hewn stone. Because the your sword, you can't you can't raise your sword or again any type of iron couldn't be used on the mizbeach. Now it's interesting when it comes to the mizbeach, the stones had to be totally complete, and they could never um, um, cut them in any way, shape them, because there can't be any iron touching the stone. When it comes to the other stones of the mizbeach, you could. Um, you could shape them outside of the Temple Mount before you brought them to the Harabais. But once you bring the Harabais, there's no Barzal. So basically what we have here from the Psukim is that Barzal, which is iron, which is metal, is a no-no in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, when you look into the Medrash, we'll see that metals are synonymous with the ones who destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. Here it's, we have from Shmois Raba Parsha Lamed Hay, um, which is the next quote here. When it talks about the various trumas, um, donations that were taken for the Mishkan, so it says, Zav, the Kesef, You, you take, uh, you know, there's gold in the Mishkan, there was silver, there was copper. So the Medrash goes through what each one represents Zav, Zubavel, Kesef, Zumada, Necheshes, Zuyavan. The Medrash goes through the steps, but then it says, Aval Barzel, Ein, Ksev, Khan, Loi, Bimikdash, Veloi, Bimishkan. There's not going to be, there's no donations of barzel. Metals. Gold, yes. Silver, yes. Copper, yes. No metal. Lama? Because barzel, which is that, that iron and metal, is, um, represents or is compared to Edom, who they're the ones who destroyed the Beisam Mikdash. Lafichach loinichtav barzel b'mishkan o b'mikdash shemeshulin boy edoin. And therefore, Barzel is not mentioned in the Mishkan or Mikdash because they're connected to Edom, and therefore we don't want it in the Besam Mikdash. So, what's the common denominator of what we learned in Malachim and what we learned in Shemais, we learned in the Medrash? 
is that barzel is a no-no. Metals wasn't there in the Mishkan or Mikdash. So now going back to the Nevuah of Yechezkel, yeah. what was he told? He says, take a pan of barzel. Why barzel dafka? Because he's prophesizing the downfall of the Beis HaMikdash. Right? He's, he's, he's prophesizing that there's going to be a siege on the Beis HaMikdash and ultimately the destruction. So it's not the barzel that's used. Right? This is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Kabbalah behind this. What's wrong with Barzel and what's, why is it so negative? But without getting into that, what we see over here is that there's this um, involvement. That on the one hand, when it comes to the Mishkan of Beis HaMikdash, Barzel is a no-no. When it comes to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Yechezkel is told to symbolize the impending destruction using a Machavat Shel Barzel. Okay, so that's part one. But now we're going to see something that's very fascinating. Divrei Hayyamin, Aleph, Chronicles, Perich of Tespasigbis. David Amalach is discussing his preparation for the building of the Beis Amikdash. Now you'll recall, who's the one who built the Beis Amikdash? Shlomo. But although Shlomo built it, David got everything ready. First of all, he got permission from Hashem through the Navi. He, he, uh, he purchased the, the land from Aravna. He prepared a lot of it. And then Hashem said, But I don't want you building it, your son will build it. But in Divrei Hayyamim, David Amalek describes his preparation for building. And he says the following. He says, He says, With all of my strength, I prepared for the house of Hashem, gold for gold and ket. I prepared silver for the silver and copper for copper. Habarza lebarza. He said, I prepared a lot of barza, a lot of metal, a lot of iron. And wood for wood, different types of stones, and all different types of precious stones, and marble, which is wonderful. But here, David says he's preparing Barzel, and that goes against everything we said until this point. Now, true, David Malach wasn't in our class, but still, he should have known. <laughs> and to, to compound the problem, let's look a few psukim later. That was Pasuk Beis, and Pasuk Zion. It goes through the actual numbers and amounts of what he prepared. He says, That they, they created, he made for the Avoida of the house of Hashem, Zohav, gold, kikorim, chameshes alafim. 5,000 kikors of gold. Va'adrachoinim ribut. Adrachoinim was a type of a, um, a type of a currency, whatever. So, uh, 10,000. V'kasef kikorim aseres alafim. 10,000 kikor of silver. Unachayshes, copper, ribuy ushmeines alafim kikorim. Unachayshes was eighteen thousand kikars. Now get this, ubarzel, meya elaf kikar, a hundred thousand kikar. Which means that David Melech prepared more barzel for the Beis Hamikdash than everything else they got. The gold and the silver and the copper. If you do the math. They're like he, he prepared a tremendous amount of Barzil. And the question is, but Barzil, you're not allowed to have in the basement. And this is an obvious, you know, eyebrow reason. What's going on? Yeah, but what does it mean? What was he preparing it for? If you can't use it for the basement, well, what was he doing? And he prepares it, and it says that those tremendous amounts. Now, so obviously, this is a question that has not gone unnoticed. And there's various answers given, though. They're not Pasha the answers, not easy to, to really uh, accept. But let's look at let's just look at two. Um, you have the Ramban. Ramban Nachmanides in the end of Parsh in his, in his uh, explanation, the Chumash in the end of Parsha's Truma, I'm sorry, Parsha of Yisra, he says, um, 
Well, this is Yisra or Truma? I don't know. It says on my paper. It says on my paper Yisra, but I'm thinking maybe it's Truma. Um, okay, I'll have to check it out. The Ramban says that couldn't be. Couldn't be that he um, that all that iron was for the base of because because you can't really put it in the base of He said it must have been to create tools for the base of Mikdash. In other words, just to bring the stones and bring the things. There's a lot of tools, a lot of machinery that you need in order to create a base of Mikdash. So. He created, the, he, he um, donated this, he, he prepared this tremendous amount of iron, which was going to be used in the preparation of the Beis HaMikdash. And that's an approach. And in the passage, it doesn't say anything like that. It says he, he prepared this for the Beis HaMikdash and puts it together with the Zov and the Kassim and the Nechishas. But Ramban is faced with this, with this problem. <laughs> where, where the bars will go? And that's why he says it was for tools. It was for tools, for, I don't know, machinery. I don't know what it is. But whatever was needed, the iron was there to support it. That is the Ramban's approach. There's another explanation given, and that's the next one I have here. I just indicated the names. The Maharzav. Maharzav is one of the Mepharshim on the Medrash Rabbah. If you open up a Medrash Rabbah, you'll see on one side the Maharzav. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it stands for Zevvul. That was his name. Um, I don't know his last name, where he comes from. But he's a very authoritative Peter on the Medrash Rabbah. He says, he says no. He says, no, they used it. They used it. But they didn't use it in the inner chamber, in the heichel. It was just in the outer chatseris, in the outer courtyards. Otherwise, it makes this there you could use um, iron. That's what he says. Which is, which is, I mean, if he said it, he said it. But it, there is no, we don't have any record of all that iron in the chatseris of the Besamekdash. Now, a lot has been written, and I know Rabbi Ram is an expert in this. A lot has been written about the Besamekdash and the building and the Lishkas and the different parts. We don't have record of a tremendous amount of iron in, the, in any part of the Besamekdash. So, Marzav said it, um, and therefore it's definitely an approach, but it's a Chiddush. And that's what he says. So, this question is what the Rebbe was discussing on Asura Batevis 31 years ago, and he introduced a third answer, a third option, after mentioning the other options. And he says that the Isser of using iron in the Beis HaMikdash is because, as Rashi says, iron is used to kill, iron is negative. He says that's all for the first Beis HaMikdash and the second Beis HaMikdash. When Mashiach will come, there iron will stop being something negative. What does the Pasuk say? The famous Nevuah. I'm pretty sure it's a Nevuah that's on the uh, yeah. wall of the United Nations, isn't that? Yeah. That the swords will be beaten into plowshares. In other words, the negative connotation of iron will stop being, an, uh, will stop being negative. And that goes back to the Yerida Sarah Chaliyah, that ultimately everything when Mashiach will come will turn around and we'll see how it's meant for its good purpose. And then iron will be mutter to use in the Besam English. Taki by the Mishkan, they didn't use it. Not Kesef, not, only used Kesef Zav Nechishas. In the first and second Beis HaMikdash, we didn't use it. But in the third Beis HaMikdash, there, when everything, when there won't be any Esurach, Atuma Avrim in Aris, and there won't be any impurity. So David HaMalach was already thinking about the end game. David Malach Yisrael, David Mashiach is called David Malach Mashiach. David was thinking of the end game, and most likely, I would add, that David Malach wanted that the first Beis HaMikdash should already be Zaycha to be the Binyi Mitzvah. Right? If we would have been Zaycha, the first Beis HaMikdash could have been the third Beis HaMikdash. Because, you know, if you don't do any Averis, Mashiach could have come better. So David HaMalach was already preparing for the, for the Tachlis, for the ultimate goal. In the ultimate goal, there will be room for iron as well, because everything will be Mahapich, everything will be transformed. And that's why Zafka, it's interesting, when the only place there's a record of the iron being prepared is when David says he prepared it. 
when the Pasuk talks about the building, it doesn't say it was built into it. When Shlomo Melech built it, he did not build any iron into it. So all that iron that was prepared, and where it is, I don't know. Uh, no, nobody knows. They prepared, didn't you, but they did not use it. They didn't use it then. They didn't use that because we the the, uh, the in Malachim when it talks about Shlema Malach building this it doesn't say anything about it. So David Malach is preparing something, thinking for the future he w- he would like something to be, and yet at his at his time it didn't come to be. So that was the Rebbe's solution to this problem. It's a very interesting solution because it's a it's a very big problem. I mean that these sukim the, this tremendous amount of iron in a place where you can't bring iron. Like what's going on? Yeah. And that was the Rebbe's solution that when Mashiach will come, iron will stop being something negative. And then he went. To, then he explained kabbalistically what iron represents negatively and positively. Uh, for example, just to bring one last point, the last um, paragraph here reveals the Gemara Masechta Tainus. Davdal Ramadal of Amar Ravashi called Talmud Chacham she'ine kasha kebarzel ine Talmud Chacham. The Talmud Chacham has to have the strength of iron, right? Shenemar Yufaitzet Sela. It says that the Torah is strong enough to break through stones. So we see the positive connotation of iron used in a positive way. It's a way of a Talmud Chacham. You learned it from there. We learned it from a different passage. Barzel. It says that Eretz Yisrael is a place that its stones are like Barzel. Don't read just that the stones of Eretz Yisrael are Barzel, but the builders of Eretz Yisrael, I mean, have the trait of Barzel. So we see that even though Barzel has this negative connotation, it could also have a, a connotation in Kedusha. It's positive usage. And that, therefore, that's what Mashiach comes and everything is used in its most positive form. Barzal stops being a negative, and perhaps that's what Dovah Amalek was preparing for when he built the first place on Mikdash. That was an idea that was suggested then. I'll just Maybe add... They use it to make the <laughs> I'll just add there, there is I mean there is an interesting a number of people ask this all the time when Mashiach will come we'll be the third base of Mikdash is there going to be electricity? is there going to be video cameras? is there you know, there's so many are there going to be modern upgrades to the base of Mikdash? I mean the base of Mikdash the last one was 2,000 years ago things have changed a little bit in the way we live is there going to be running water? like all these things right? and I don't know that anybody has definitively said the answer to that question the problem is because there's there's Psukim, it says Hakol Miad Halai Hashem, his skill that Besamekdash was built according to Nevuah, which is fine. Mashiach will be a Navi too. Rambam Paskins, Mashiach will be Navi, God will come Mashiach Rabbeinu. So he'll tell us what to do. But again, I'm not going to express an opinion on this. I'm not big enough to express an opinion. But it would be odd to me that there shouldn't be, that we should be having a Besamekdash that's going to look like 2,000 years ago and there's no lights, and there's no electricity, there's no water. So everyone will have beautiful houses with running water and electricity and they'll come to a primitive base amikdash. Doesn't sound great, right? So it just it adds a little bit to that. There's a there's a whole new aspect that's gonna be there. And obviously it's gonna be the same base amikdash, and obviously the Mizbeach, and there's gonna be the Manera and the Shulchan. But as it would seem that there's gonna be, for the lack of a better word, upgrades in the build, in the building. Mm-hmm. And it could be that's where this iron comes in. You know, suddenly there's there's need for a lot more stuff going on. That's just a suggestion of my steel, own. Yeah. yeah, steel. So much that comes from steel. Okay, we have time for something quick on Vayichi. Yeah, let's let's quickly stop around. I'm assuming everyone daven live already. Yes. Yeah, at the end of the fast, right? Okay. Um, quickly, five minutes. The beginning of Parshas Vayichi. Vayikru v'yimei Yisrael l'amus. It was the the time before Yaakov was going to pass away. Vayikru l'vnoyli Yosef. He calls his son Yosef Ayemrali. He says, "Mnamas hasichem be'nechaf. I have found favor in your eyes. Simna yotchat hachas yerechi. Place your um, your hand by my thigh. Vasisa madi chesed ve'emes. Right. So take an oath. 
Um, do not bury me in Mitzrayim. Yaakov did not want to be buried in Mitzrayim. He wanted to be taken to the land of Israel. I will pass on. Carry me from Mitzrayim. And bury me in the burial plot of my parents. And Yosef says, I will do as you ask. Yaakov says, I want you to swear. So he swore to him, and Yaakov bowed to the head of the bed. That's the Pasuk. There's something a little bit odd here. Yosef said he was going to do it. He was an honest man. <laughs> you know, the father tells the son a, 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 a wish on his deathbed, and the son says he's going to do it, and the son is a tzaddik. So did Yaakov say, I want you to swear? That's a little, little tough, you know? Uh, it's almost as if there was a lack of trust. Right. So, so the so the, so the common answer is that he wasn't talking really to Yosef. It was for Pari. You know, of course Yosef would want to do it, but maybe Pari wouldn't let. So Yosef would have to have a bargaining chip, and he would tell him that he swore, which is which is definitely a answer, and it's an answer that's indicated in a number of the Mefarshim. Um, however, when Yosef said, "I will do it," Yosef also knew about Pari. Right? Yosef was very aware of the situation. He was the viceroy. He worked with Pari every day. And he said, I was going to do it. That means he's understanding. And he says, I'm going to, take, I'm going to get this done. Somehow there's something here that Yaakov is still uncomfortable. And he needed a shvur. Even though his beloved son, the viceroy of Mitzrayim, says, I'm going to get it done. He's looking for something more. So again, on a pshat level, the answer is, as was said. But let's perhaps see something a little bit deeper. Um, how does the Parsha finish? What the, the, this week is Parshas Vayichi, it's Shabbos Chazak, we finished the Torah, and as we finished Chumash Bereshis, we finished the Parshas Vayichi. What's the last Pasuk of Parshas Vayichi? We have that in the third paragraph here, towards the end. Vayamas Yosef ben Meya ve'eser shanim, Yosef died when he was 110 years old, Vayachan to Yosef, he was embalmed, Vayisem ba'arin b'misrayim, he was placed in a casket in Egypt. Chazak, Chazak, v'nis Chazak. And the question is asked, that's a wonderful way to finish a chumash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we have a klal, we have a rule in Torah, misayimim b'toyv. You always yeah. try to finish, even you look in Svarim of Allah and Gemara's, it's a general rule. You, the last line you finish with some type of a positive message. Chumash Bereshis is a great chumash. Does it have to finish with, we left them in a casket in Mitzrayim? Well, what a way to finish a chumash. And everyone gets up and announces chazak. What's going on? So, one of the explanations given is a very beautiful explanation. And that is, Yosef being buried in Mitzrayim is very, was very extremely empowering for B'nai Yisrael. Because really, the end of Chumash Bereshis really ends on a down. The Jewish people just arrived in Mitzrayim and they're going to be in Golos now for 210 years. Right? And it's a terrible exile to be in. And it's the Egyptians and it's decadent and it's immoral and they're evil and, and wicked. And... What gave them the koyach, the power, to sustain, to hold strong, right? Yosef was still with them. Yosef who was this tremendous tzaddik. Yosef who was the person who was able to come down to Mitzrayim and turn the tables and become the viceroy of Mitzrayim and bring Kedusha to some degree even in Mitzrayim. Yosef says, I'm staying with you guys. I'm not leaving until you leave. When you leave, you'll take my body up with you. In simple words, Kibrit Tzadik and the Tzadik was there with them, right? Sometimes, Yosef could have went off to Israel too. And then we're just here. But Yosef staying in Mitzrayim was actually the greatest chizuk for the rest of the Kali Yisrael. They knew if Yosef's bones are here, Yosef's body is here with us, 
we're okay. And he's, he said he's going to come up. He's going to go back to Israel when we go back, not a day earlier. So Yosef represented in his lifetime someone. He stuck around with the, with the people, with the nation, in their gullus, in their exile, and even after he passed away. Once we understand that, Yaakov knew of Yosef's shita in this thing. Yaakov knew that Yosef holds that where was the best place for the Tzadik to be? With his people. So therefore, when Yaakov comes to Yosef and says, please take me to Israel. So yes, I'll do it. But Yaakov's thinking, but there's something, even though he said he might do it, he might think for the better of all of Yisrael. It would be so machazik them if Yaakov Avinu was here. Why did Yaakov think like that? So one second. So that's why Yaakov needed this food. Because it's not about Pari. Pari is, 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 small, is a small issue. Yes, we'll take care of Pari. Yaakov is worried about Yosef himself. That knowing Yosef and knowing his Madrega, knowing his Shita, that he says, I'm going to stay in Mitzrayim as long as there's one year left in Mitzrayim. I'm not leaving. Yaakov looked at Yosef's eyes and says, I'm not sure he's going to take me out of here. He might go against his own desire to do what I wanted in order to help call Yisrael. Yaakov said, he shuffled. I need you to swear to me, I have to go to Israel. And what Yaakov, and what the obvious question is, so if Yaakov understood Yosef's shita, why didn't he agree? So the answer is, because Yaakov and Yosef are different types of Sadiqim. In Sadiqim alone, there's different types and different levels of Sadiqim. Yaakov was always above the situation. Even when Yaakov was in Mitzrayim, he was in Gaisha. Yaakov was, was a higher tzaddik. Yaakov lived, was married to Israel. Yaakov was a, even when he worked, he was a shepherd. He was, in a sense, removed from, he was a, he was a, a, da, a level of kedusha that remains above. Giving all the problems. I'm sorry? I'm sorry? Father. Father. He's definitely a father. I mean, and he definitely gives kayak to call you but from a higher place. From a, Yosef comes into Mitzrayim, becomes the viceroy of Mitzrayim. He feeds the Jewish people. But who's the one who the Jewish people lived through? Yosef, right? We're called Sein Yosef. We're called the shepherd. Yosef was the shepherd of Kali Yisrael. He got down and, and, and how do you say, uh, got dirty? Got, got down and dirty. He became the Melech of Mitzrayim and he became the one who's Mechalkel Bnei Yisrael. He's the one. His job is to stay with the Yudin until the last minute. Yaakov's job is to be from Eretz Yisrael and be Mashpia from afar. Two jobs. They're both important. They both have to happen. But Yaakov knew what he has to do. Yaakov knew Yosef's way of seeing things. And Yaakov wanted to make sure he's going to go there. He'll stay here together, but make sure there's going to be a good result.